0: How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform, or head to gotomeeting.com forward slash tips. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnansky and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Peppy. Peppy today. Very peppy. Feeling peppy. as Well, you should. I mean, it's not like everything's gone wrong or anything. Everything's great. No. The whole world is perfect right now (laughs) and so I'm feeling peppy. Peppy. I I think that's good. Well, we should be peppy because what an amazing uh, guest we have this week. Look. This idea by the way that you had of us adding guests, I think it was your idea. It what was a great idea. What a well,
1: what a Just just to review, uh, <laughs> so we had done the podcast for 18 years. 18 years, correct. And yeah. And then um then someone had the idea that it might be good if we get microphones. Right. Instead of just was... shouting at our computers. And that <laughs> that was a huge innovation after 18 years. And then about I think it was about uh, 13 years after that, it was in yes. season 31 of the podcast that uh, that I suggested we could have people come on to talk who weren't you and me. So and that weird. Was a, that was a real breakthrough. I believe, I'll, we'll have to check this. I think we were the first podcast to do that. I think well, we were
0: the- I think that's right. right. That's, I think that's we what were. Was, well, and that's what I've been seeing. I've been seeing other people do it. Like yeah, other people having everybody's guests Everybody's
1: copying them. us. Yeah, we were the ones who invented the idea of having a guest <laughs> on the podcast who wasn't us to make it more interesting. And that was season 31. And so now here we are. Uh, we've it's been another six years, and so we're in season, season 37 here. And, and today, we have a, a very exciting guest. We're very happy to have him here. Why don't you yes. go ahead and introduce him?
0: Our, my dear friend, uh, one of the funniest people in the world, comedian Gary Gullman. Gary, welcome.
2: Oh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me on, and it's it's great to be back on the on the podcast. It's so yeah. fun. every time I come on. It is very similar to the conversations we have over meals, so I think that's the best part of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's the great thing about this show we don't add anything that we like the, like literally mike and i our first podcast was at a minor league baseball game nobody was recording but people were telling us to shut up from like all around us
2: <laughs> <That's great. laughs>
0: and 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 we, it's like hey let's just record this and do a show and that's literally what we did we didn't change a single thing and and now adding you which is basically just you and me having lunch this is the greatest the greatest uh thing in the world.
1: So instead of um, crowds at a minor league baseball game telling us to shut up, now people can tell us to shut up from the comfort <laughs> of their own homes. It's, it's so
0: much more convenient now yeah, for people to, tell for us to shut up. It's great yeah, for the so. consumer. <laughs> really? It really is. So it's great to have you on, Gary. Uh, th- we're going to get into some some baseball stuff. There there are a couple of things that I know are in each of your minds that I want to uh, talk about, but uh, cannot pass up this opportunity Uh, you're both big, uh, Boston area sports fans. Um, and, and I, and there's a question that went on the internet and I kind of posed it out there. I just retweeted it. It wasn't my question originally. Um, but I posted it out there and I think it's an amazing question. It's, it's a question that like when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's pretty cool. But then the more I thought about it and the more people responded, the more I realized, that there are really a lot of layers to the question, so I'm going to put the question as 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 it was put on Twitter, and then you guys can can uh, can respond. This is from Paul Moeringer, and Paul asked the question after Teddy Ballgame, Bird, Brady, or Bill Russell and Big Poppy. So after Ted Williams, Larry Bird, Tom Brady, Bobby Orr, Bill Russell, and Big Poppy, who is the next most popular athlete in Boston sports history. And and here's here's what I think. And I and I you guys need to jump in because you're the Boston guys, but here's what I think. Uh, and I just mentioned this to Gary. I think that this question leads to my new theory, which is that no sports town has more legendary heroes to the town itself than Boston. This is this is my working theory yeah it's my working theory, so first of all, first glance, first question, Gary, who is your answer for that question?
2: Well, here I have a problem with the with the question, basically because Bill russell has has never gotten his due there and yes. won nearly twice as many championships as as Brady and revolutionized the game of basketball, and so um, you said Yaz. Well, Yaz was much more popular than than Russell, and I, I would say that a number of Red Sox were probably more popular than Russell. Russell didn't take the the abuse with with a smile, and and he was also very active as as a, an activist, and he was outspoken, and so he was not embraced during that time in, in Boston and, and a, a, a lot of people do not, do not feel that he was appreciative enough and it's just, it's a, a, a ridiculous and, and a really, really sad chapter in, in Boston sports history. So I would, I would say that it's nice that Russell is recognized. He's probably as, as successful and as talented as anybody on that list. But, but yes I would say would be ahead of that. But for me, the, the guy who was, who was really something when I was growing up was, was Doug Flutie. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I, I got recruited to play there in 88 and he had won the Heisman in, in for the 84 season, I think so. But, but he won the cotton Bowl in 85, the beginning of 85. And when I was visiting there, there, it was almost as if it had happened 30 years ago. It was, it's so weird how a college, Moves on from, from that level of hero because they had had two consecutive losing seasons after <laughs> after that, and and it was just it, it was it was so bizarre, and 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 it made sense to me as an, as a seventeen year old. I remember thinking, yeah, of course that happened so long ago. Why would they Why would they bring it up? It would be tacky for them to bring it up at this point. Now I realize that as a, as a 49 year old man, that, that three years is, is basically about six weeks in the life <laughs> of, of an adult. But back then it was it, Doug Flutie was the, like this, this guy who had we, we really, other than the Celtics, we didn't have much to root for in Boston when, when the Eagles made that run that year. So I, I would say for me, but Doug Flutie was the, was the hero and, and and I, I was surprised that more people, but then yes, I think is the obvious one.
0: Mike, what do you think? Well, okay, so
1: Gary's totally right that Russell, in his day, was underappreciated. I will say that in the intervening years, re- in a revisionist history sort of a way, yeah, it, it does seem like he is caught up. People have generally recognized his extreme greatness uh retroactively and his popularity has has definitely increased retroactively um which so i it's a little bit i mean the 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 trick with this question is is like it's not who's the greatest athlete in in history it's who's the most popular right and so i think russell now counts on the list because of the way that people have kind of uh begrudgingly i mean look if you're looking for like shameful aspects of boston's relationship to its african-american athletes like you know get in line buddy like that you know russell russell's way up there but he's he's it's like he's alone in in that in that regard but now i think uh in a slightly more advanced age um i think i do think he belongs on the list even above yaz because people have he's partly because he's still around you know, I mean, Yaz is too, but he's he's around and, and he has taken on this kind of extreme elder statesman. Um, you know, he gives out the the finals awards. Right. Like right. he's that right. he's like he has that status as um, as kind of the the the, the Eminence grise of the NBA. So I, I think he belongs on the list now. If you're going strictly by who's most popular, the answer is probably Rob Gronkowski. Even though he currently plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think I don't even know. Um, so because his like his kind of the the Patriots' uh, incredible run over the last twenty years had uh, where they had everything in the world except for happiness. There was no happiness involved with that team. They were led by the most dour human being in the world, and Tom Brady is just kind of a is like a football robot who had who seems pleasant as a guy but is not he's not like a happy person and then gronk showed up and like he brought the only thing that that dynasty lacked which was joy and i think that really kind of cut through um the 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 sort of like social fabric a little bit and there's other there's other possibilities right like um in terms of popularity, there's other. You could say that, like, I mean, literally, like Jerry Remy belongs on that list somewhere. Not wow, because, that's... not because he uh, was an amazing player, but because he's been announcing Red Sox games for a really long time. Right, um, Bob, and Bob so
2: th- in a similar way,
1: yeah, exactly. And and you know, like Lou Merlone. If you had asked this question ten years ago, the answer would have been Lou Merlone because he's from <laughs> Massachusetts. Uh, so. I think the answer's probably Gronk. Doug Flutie is a good answer. Then there's the Ray there's like Ray Bork. I mean, Ray Bork was so popular in Boston that when he went to the Avalanche and won the Stanley Cup finally, they had a parade in Boston. <laughs> for I, him. Or, yeah. For him. Yeah. Like so I so I think popularity being the key, I think the answer is Gronk. It's it's basically your your four candidates to me are Gronk, Yaz, Doug Flutie, and then some random like Lou Merloni or Jerry Remy type, who is popular only because of his continued sort of association with whatever team he played for.
2: Well,
0: you have to throw in Pedro, right? So Pedro is the other oh, one.
1: I'm they, sorry. Like, I for, I keep forgetting this. Pedro's not on that list, right?
0: That Pedro not, is okay. not. It's so, actually right. kind of surprising. It's kind of
1: crazy. The, the the answer is either Gronk or Pedro, and then the and then that list of people afterwards. I think Pedro probably uh is a little bit higher because boston is still to this day more of a baseball town than it is a football town amazingly um so i think yes i i I kept forgetting when you and i were talking about this over text i kept forgetting that pedro was on the list because i assumed he was but given that he's not the answer is either pedro or gronk and then the other one of pedro or gronk and then all those people i mentioned a second
0: ago what do you think what do you think gary pedro
2: No, I I, I have to agree with Mike. The interesting thing about Gronkowski, and I I know this isn't his his biography, but he went to high school at every single high school in Massachusetts. (laughs) Everybody knows somebody exactly like that from their high school who was just beloved. And, and continues to show up to high school parties and, and things like that. So so yeah, I think Gronkowski is the most popular Boston athlete in, in history. And he would show yeah. up to parties, I imagine, on, on crutches, and he would get <laughs> drunk, and and you, did, you didn't really even begrudge him hitting on your girlfriend at these parties because he, he was just, he was so lovable and, and funny.
1: No, you bragged about it. You were like, guess who hit on your girlfriend? <laughs> I think that like um there is if you made a venn diagram uh of boston florida and arizona the one spot where they overlap is rod grankowski like it's (laughs) he's just he he, he, you know like he is such a he is a recognizable archetype who even boston has its own problems and its own issues and its own terrible checkered history with racism and and nonsense and, and it all, but it's also an ancient city by American standards. It's 400 years old and it has very, very little in common with the university of Arizona or anything involved with Arizona in general. But what it does have in common is Rob Gronkowski belongs in both places. So if you're, if you're talking popularity, you might, you might edge um, Gronk above Pedro. I just think, I think Pedro gets the edge just because uh, he, he, by the way, brought joy to a totally moribund franchise, a yeah. franchise that that was nowhere'sville, and he gave Red Sox fans hope for years when they didn't deserve any. You know, he led he led some of those Red Sox teams into the playoffs, and in in some cases, deep into the playoffs, and uh, at a time when like they just didn't deserve to be there when they had Troy O'Leary hitting fifth in their lineup. And so there is like I I think that his popularity doesn't stem from just kind of being a big lovable doofus it comes from actual on the field achievement uh, and then winning an Oh four kind of capped it off. So I think Pedro gets the edge, but Gary's also right that like he Gronk is Gronk's popularity comes from familiarity and recognizability more than anybody else.
0: Yeah. 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 Do you remember the person who used to send to the podcast used to send tweets to us like the, that her and her friends would do, like they would have quiz shows Like would Rob Gronkowski know this? Do you remember this? There was like, like, it was was like it would be like Amelia Earhart. Would Rob Gronkowski know who she is? Like things like that. It was hysterical. I mean, was
1: the? I assume the answer was always no. Like he doesn't. That guy doesn't know anything.
0: (laughs) It was usually no, but then there were some weird like connections he would make that he would have heard about it in some bizarre way. It was. It was very, very funny. If, if that person is still out there, please send us those again, because they were oh, they were great. joyous, joyous. Uh, one other point to be made. And then, Mike, I know you've got a a, a baseball thought. Um, yesterday, when this question came out, we Mike and I and Brandon McCarthy were, were texting about it. And uh, Mike made the very strong point. A person we have not even mentioned, John Havlicek. Uh, is oh, not wow. on that list and could very well be. And John Havlicek, you would you would certainly make the point, and I think Mike is right, I think Bill Russell's, now Bill Russell is beloved in a way that he really wasn't as a player, but when they were playing, John Havlicek was way more beloved than Bill Russell. John Havlicek at his time was, you know, he was, yes. he and, right? I mean, he and Bobby Orr were the two most popular athletes in Boston. And, yeah. uh Brandon McCarthy had never heard of him. I just wanna, I just wanted to get that out there for the record. Oh
2: wow, he, that's interesting. He,
0: yeah, he just said, "Who is Havlicek?"
1: Yeah, it was uh, uh, stunning. Uh, I mean, he 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 then he was like, "We were we thought he was kidding," and yes, then he was did. like, "Why he doesn't really? He's not a big NBA guy. Brandon isn't." So he was like, "This guy like retired five years before I was born, and I don't really like the NBA. Why should I know who he is?" <laughs> to which I responded that that Ben Hogan retired five years before I was born and I don't really like golf, but I know who Ben Hogan is. And then he just stopped texting <laughs> me. So,
0: wow. uh, no, no, not before you sent him the Havlicek sold, uh, stole the ball, uh, YouTube, uh, link to which the point he said, no, nah, that's black and white. I'm not looking at that.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Millennials. You know what I mean? Wow. These, that's these millennials like, and their avocado oh, toast.
2: Mik- Mik- Mikhail was also huge uh, when I was growing up. Sure. And that- there was a, a Red Sox reliever who I ne- I never saw him play, but but um, Mayday Malone, Sam Mayday Malone. <laughs>
1: he was very he was, popular.
2: He was, he, was, <laughs> he was hugely popular, and and yeah, mostly for his bar. But initially, he was he was a very strong reliever who fell on some, some hard times. This was, this I, was I would yeah. venture
1: to guess, actually, that if you're just going by the number of people who watched them perform. Mayday Malone is probably number yeah. one, right? <laughs> yeah. And more people watched Mayday Malone than any yeah. of those other guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not, but didn't watch him perform, didn't watch him play. So, <laughs> so, so that hurts. It hurts his um, cause. Yeah. By the way, everybody's several people have written in about McHale. You mentioned McHale. Why does McHale get so much love and so little love for Robert Parrish? You guys are Celtics guys. Yeah. Well, what is the difference what, there? I can't
1: the put my <laughs> finger on it. They were both so weird. guys.
0: It's right, right. They both right.
1: played. They both played for the same three championship teams. Right, right. I mean, I don't. I just. I don't remember what each of them looked like per,
0: per, per se. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: but I wonder if that had something right. to do with it.
2: So
0: weird. Just it's just one of those mysteries we'll never get the yeah. answer to. But yeah. it's just very strange. All right, Mike. I want you to uh, to share your thought because we we exchanged. Uh, texts on this uh it is it is a uh very important rite of passage i suppose a ritual in baseball i guess uh and and you want it solved am i right am i am i explaining this right
1: yeah i, I this is a very very deeply held belief and and it's a huge problem in baseball look baseball yes. has a lot of problems we all know that um i think this might be the single biggest problem facing the oh, game of baseball today. And yep. I want it, and I want it to be fixed. So, <laughs> here's the situation: at the at the end of a baseball game, uh, that's a big game, and that could mean a clinching game of a playoff series or right. a no hitter or perfect game. Right. And the pitcher strikes out the final hitter, right? Um, sure. Which means the uh, it's usually a strikeout, but it could be it could be a, a, a different kind of out. But let's assume it's a strikeout. And the the defensive team celebrates because they've won the game. And the catcher rushes forward to embrace the pitcher. Yes. Who jumps into whom's arms? (laughs) This is the the problem, okay? So the answer is the pitcher should jump into the catcher's arms. This is correct. There there are many reasons for this. First of all, the catcher is wearing gear that is like a, it doesn't make any sense for a person who's wearing a suit of armor to jump into anyone else's arms it makes sense for the non-armored person to jump into the suit of armor's arms and right. also because the catcher is the is the like president of the team the catcher <laughs> runs the team the catcher is the only person facing the way that he's facing he's called the whole game he has he's guarded home plate the catcher is in charge here and as a result the pitcher who recorded the out is the celebrant who jumps into the other person's arms it's it's like a kid jumping into uh his or her father's or mother's arms and yet time after time after time we see the reverse we see the the catcher and the pitcher run forward and the catcher jumps into the pitcher's arms now I i have a theory about why this is true which i'll hold for a second But uh, but it's it's terrible. And and worse yet, what often happens is the pitcher and catcher rush forward and neither of them kind of knows what to do. They they kind of stop and their arms are both extended and their faces are smiling and they're full of glee and joy. But they they didn't decide beforehand who is going to jump into whose arms. And as a result, they just kind of stand there screaming at each other and you're denied that wonderful moment of somebody jumping into somebody else's arms. And so what I'd like to do is standardize this and say, send a memo. Rob Manfred sends a memo to all 30 uh, teams and says, in the event of a playoff clinching game or a no hitter or a perfect game or anything, the, the, the official stance of major league baseball is the pitcher jumps into the catcher's (laughs) arms. And after that we're good because then it will just be standardized across the sport. Now, one more thing. I do believe that the I've isolated. I've done a lot of research. I've been locked in my office for two months now because of uh, COVID-19. I've been doing nothing but researching this. Uh, I haven't seen my family. I haven't gone outside. I haven't done anything because I've been intently researching this uh, phenomenon. I believe I have narrowed it down, and I think I know why it happens. It's because in Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series in 1956, I believe— after the final out, Yogi Berra ran forward and jumped into Don Larson's arms. And I don't know whether this is because Yogi Berra was a diminutive gentleman yeah, sure. or it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. or Don, I don't know if Don Larson was tall. I don't know. But for one reason or the other, Yogi Berra jumped into Don Larson's arms. And you've seen that clip a million times. And as a result, I think subliminally or subconsciously, rather – Everyone else is sort of following that trajectory, except in times of uh, where where people have maybe haven't seen the clip. And that's when you get this weird, awkward standoff <laughs> thing that happens 18 feet in front of the mound where they're just kind of like yelling at each other and screaming and don't know what to do. So I think Yogi Bear blew it once again. Of course, this is the fault of a New York Yankee, of course. Uh, like that's, like everything, are. like everything bad in baseball. <laughs> And I and I I think we need to reverse it. I think we need to be swift. I don't think this is a time for uh for you know half measure. I think we need to this needs to be a, a new institutionalized MLB rule. At the end of the game, the pitcher jumps into the arms of the catcher, except and Brandon I think uh, suggested this, except if it's Madison Bumgarner. If it's Madison Bumgarner, <laughs> it is okay for the catcher to jump into his arms. But that is he is the only guy. It's right. only Madison That's Bumgarner. Right. He is the only exception. It's like when Mario Rivera got to wear number 42 long after every other team had retired it. We have right. a Madison Bumgarner exception where the right. catcher can jump into his arms. And other than that, pitchers jump into catcher's arms. End of story.
0: Bumgarner the only one to have this grandfathered in. That's right. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Gary, Gary, how do we feel about all of this?
2: I have a number of thoughts. One, I want to draw a a direct line from the embracing of of the anti-intellectualism of Yogi Berra and his supposed wisdom, ah. his uh, Johnson Gardner-esque wisdom. I want to draw that to uh, the current situation in the White House. I, I think they are connected Everybody loves the 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 anti intellectualism and the and the, the, the nobody would say this because they're afraid of offending Yankees fans. This Yogi Berra was it was not a bright man. He was not a sharp man. He, he, a lot of his his things were were illogical. They were they were, they were wrong. Uh, the the other thing I wanted to say was that I I think that the jumping of the the. The catcher into the pitcher's arms may have also been related to, um, the, the, I think that a lot of, and maybe I'm exaggerating this and, and the only reason I think this is because of Daryl Porter being so uh, <laughs> honest about his, his struggles in the, in the seventies. But I think of, of, as, catchers to be the most likely to have to drink a lot because of the the pain and the loneliness behind that mask and and so i think a lot of times they're they're running out there and the last thing they say before they jump into the pitcher's arms is i think i stood up too fast (laughs) I think I stood up too fast, and I do not want to betray the the, my drunkenness as as well as the fact that I'm I'm about to go down. So they jump into the pitchers, and the and the pitcher is understanding and also recognizes how difficult it is to be in that position for. For three hours, so so these these are my kaka these are cockamamie theories, of course, but 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 possible, and 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 it doesn't surprise me that Yogi Berra misunderstood his role in in the perfect game, yes, and 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 had a, he he was it was egotistical to the point that he felt that it was his perfect game. <laughs>
1: I'm just, by the way, I'm looking at, I just started Googling images of catchers and pitchers uh, after World Series clinching moments. And this is a plague. This is a real plague. (laughs) If you thought I was underestimating or or, or over-exaggerating how bad this is. Jason Veritek, at the end of 2004, jumped into Keith Folk's arms. And in the if you Google it, it looks like Keith Folk is about to be snapped in half. It, Jason wow. Veritek was like 6'3", 240, and yeah. Keith Folk was like 5'11", 190. And Jason Veritek, is, is, it looks like Keith Folk is going to buckle under the weight of Jason Veritek. This can't go on. It doesn't make sense. Most catchers are bigger and heavier than most pitchers, especially relievers. Like, you know, there look, there is a couple of all Chapman's out there, right? There's guys who were who were big, strong dudes. But generally speaking, your catcher is going to weigh more than your pitcher. And again, need I remind you, he is wearing equipment, a lot of equipment. So we this this has to end. Um, This is a real problem. We have this we have this like pause in the game right now. Right. Uh, So sadly, none of us are uh, no baseball is being played. We're not allowed to watch it. They're not allowed to play it. This is an opportunity. This is a real opportunity for us to fix some of the really important things that are wrong with baseball, and we should start with this one.
0: Okay, so I want to just say, now that you've Googled it, I went and Googled it. Gary Carter jumped into Jesse Orosco's arms at the end of the 86
2: World Series. Jesse Jesse Orosco was spaghetti. (laughs) He 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 weighed 108 pounds, and he jumped—Gary
0: Carter jumped into his arms— Greg Olson jumped into John Smoltz's arms when they clinched the National League West. This really is a plague. You're not wrong. It's a wrong.
1: plague. It's a. It is a. It is. A, it, is a, it is run amuck. It is run. A, it, no one has uh, has dealt with this. Right. This is just. This is run, <laughs> run rampant. And everyone has been too scared. Commissioners and and league officials alike have been too scared to confront what is a very serious issue. Uh, and yeah. and by the way, again, I'm going to say. That worse than the catcher jumping into the pitcher's arms is when nobody jumps. I hate it when nobody <laughs> jumps. It's so awkward. It's like they it's like they run up to each other and they don't know whether they should they should hug or kiss right. each other or just scream or jump up and down. Like you need the cathartic release of the big moment is someone jumps into someone else's arms. And yeah. when you don't get it, it feels like you've been denied something
0: really special. It's true. It's true. No, it really is. It's like going up to somebody you sort of are friends with and you don't know whether it's the handshake or the hug or the, right. you know, yes. And then and then sometimes they lean in for like the, the kiss on the cheek. You're like, what? I did, I did not. I'm not prepared for that. By the way, Jorge Posada jumped into the arms of Andy Pettit. I when mean, they beat the on. Phillies, come on, come on, yeah, it's it's embarrassing. I mean, no, Pet- Pet-
1: it. Pet- was a big Pet- was a big Texan guy, but still, it just looks no, wrong. It just looks wrong. Yeah.
0: No, it's the worst photo. It's absolutely the worst photo. And and it's look, you and I, Mike, we've disagreed in the past, but we're just on the same page with this. This is this this must end. This must stop immediately.
1: I'm glad I'm very glad you both agree with me on this because uh, Definitely. It, it it really like it's been bothering me for a really long time, time. and I've never talked about, it's
2: about it. Time Yes. It's about yes, time. All right, so I say
0: in priority, one, Rob Manfred, stop catchers from jumping into pitcher's arms. two see what you can do about this virus and, and how you play ball. do you think that's pretty, <laughs> yeah. I'd say, I'd say that's, that's the general priority. In fact, I expect an announcement soon on the catcher thing. I think, I think
1: priority one is fix the catcher and pitcher who jumps issue.
0: Right. Right. Priority
1: two is f- um, come up with a plan for how we can ever play baseball again.
0: Right. That's two. and
1: then, and then priority three is like uh, maybe fixing the playoffs but we start (laughs) but we start with we start with the first thing we don't do we don't make a move until the first
0: thing one step at a time i i I don't think there's any question all right well you know what we have an ad to read uh and then we're gonna go to gary's um baseball thoughts here uh do you want to read it mike do you want me to read it how do you want to handle this
1: Uh, i'm happy to read it because it's it's near and dear to my heart
0: it's it is it's a it's a very good cause
1: Okay, here we go, people. More than 37 million people in the United States, including 11 million children, struggle with hunger. And as the COVID-19 outbreak continues, they need your help now more than ever. As the nation's largest hunger relief organization, the Feeding America Network of Food Banks is committed to serving communities, families, and children facing hunger in America, wherever they are. You can be there for your neighbors in need by donating now at feedingamerica.org coronavirus. This is brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I will add only after that, that uh, we recently reunited the cast of Parks and Recreation and did a special one hour or a half an hour episode uh, to raise money for Feeding America. And as of right now, we're at like $4.5 million, which is truly wonderful. um, And it's still going Uh, donations up to $500,000, which is obviously long past. Um or are going to be matched until May twenty first. So you can if you want to donate through the park if you're a fan of parks and rec and you want to donate to that specific site, it's just feedingamerica.org slash parks and rec A-N-D-R-E-C. Uh if you're not a fan of parks and rec, I mean how how dare you? First <laughs> of all, how dare you? How dare yeah, you? Why are you listening um, how dare you? <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you're not, you can just go to their main page at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus.
0: Yeah. And and uh, the show was incredible. The show was amazing and so heartfelt and, uh, and you know, I mean I don't I don't first of all everybody should who, who can should donate anyway, but if if you can and you watch that show and didn't feel a little bit something, yeah, just stop how listening dare you. now. Just yeah, say we how don't dare need you. you. Yeah, how dare you, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> one other one other thought along a little bit along those lines. What is uh, Mike, what is your facial hair situation at the moment?
1: I uh, I think the technical medical term for it is terrible. Uh, I agreed. I did a different fundraiser where I, in case anyone doesn't know, where you I agreed to. I was raising money for uh, the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank, which is the uh, the local edition here in LA of uh, what Feeding America does, and I uh, got very excited. But I said I would match donations up to fifty thousand dollars, and after like one second, we had nine thousand dollars, and I very stupidly said that if uh, if we hit fifty thousand dollars by the end of that day, I would shave my head. I thought this through not for one second, Uh, (laughs) and then (laughs) yeah, didn't tell my wife, didn't tell anybody. uh, Tweeted that it's on. It was uh, you know the internet never forgets, and so there was nothing I could do about it. We hit fifty thousand dollars in an hour, and then I kept adding. Uh, things uh, clearly humili- my humiliation was key to this right so I kept adding things like I'll wear a Derek Jeter jersey I'll eat a hot <laughs> fruit pie uh, someone I think uh, oh Seth Myers offered to donate $10,000 if while wearing the Derek Jeter jersey with a shaved head uh, and eating a fruit pie I said Spygate was real uh, referring, <laughs> to patri- referring to the Patriot referring <laughs> to the Patriot Spygate not the uh, Astra Spygate so it just kept snowballing. So And then eventually, so we got up to like 175000 bucks or something. And then a, a number of people had contacted me and said, instead of shaving my head, would you instead grow the beard that you wore when you played Moe's on The Office? So I put that up as a Twitter poll. Moe's won seventy thirty. So I've been growing this beard now for months. Uh, it's terrible, and I hate it. And as soon as I can get my hand on a Derek Jeter jersey, which is actually weirdly proving to be harder than I thought it would be, Joe yes. you tr- you tried to get me one and then there was a massive shipping delay right
0: Yeah yeah no this was one of the one of the you know really it was a, it was it was my great joy to go ahead and, and get you a Derek Jeter jersey uh to wear even though uh, I, I I would say my hatred of the Yankees is equal but you know it, when you're humiliated it's good and and uh and I ordered it and I got like a you know I was able to connect with some people who helped me order it and I ordered a Derek Jeter jersey and put your address on it. And it was supposed to deliver on May 1st, which would have ended your uh, existence as uh, as a bearded man. And uh, And then you texted me like two days ago and said, hey, where's my, did you get that Jeter jersey? And I'm like, yeah, you should have had it like two weeks ago. And uh, And you said, no, I don't have it. And then I went and looked and I realized that they had delayed it to July 1st. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, and I don't know how to cancel the order, so whatever happens, if you are able to, and I assume that you will do anything in your power to get a Derek Jeter jersey so you don't have to keep the beard to July 1st, but it looks like either way, you're getting a Derek Jeter jersey on July 1st. I don't know how to stop it. It is like it is like one of the 10 plays. I, I don't know how to stop it.
1: I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> what, what happened here was Jeter found out what was going on, and he stepped in and delayed the shipping. That's yeah, uh, I swear, I promise no you that's doubt. what happened. He was like, They're no, stuck. let like delay it for another two months and make him make him grow the beard longer. And this is all <laughs> this is the de- the last bit of Derek Jeter making me miserable. Uh, me personally, me Mike. Um, so anyway, the, as soon as I can get my hands on a Jeter jersey, I'm going to take a video of myself eating a hot fruit pie uh, with my dumb beard uh, and saying all sorts of things that any uh, Boston sports fan uh would uh not want to say while eating a uh, apple pie uh and i'll post it and then this long national nightmare can finally be over
0: we can only hope gary what is your fi- your hair situation like right now
2: this is a good question i i do shave nearly every day so so i, I haven't grown, because my my facial hair is very gray so i i i shave almost every day but then my my hair which i was growing out anyhow so i'm really not concerned but it's it's probably shoulder length, depending on whether I whether I I brush it. So if I if I if I take the jew out, so to speak, I, if, I, if, if I I straighten it a little bit through through some product, then then it is shoulder length. But if the if the jew stays in, then it then it is rather it's out so it doesn't reach my shoulders but it's it's it looks best after I've after I've gone for a long jog so <laughs> that's the that's the way but this I'm, is good I can't complain I can't complain I still have that's, so I'm glad that's great no that's great I
0: I uh I have a beard uh now and uh, I hate it but I hate shaving equally uh, too yeah. so so uh, until the beard becomes like so Annoying that it equals my annoyance with shaving, I, I guess I keep it, you know, I, I think. But, but Mike, you say you, you would say you've passed full shaving annoyance. You would you would shave if you could.
1: Oh, I would uh, happily shave more than have this terrible beard. I mean, it's not it's not a good beard. It's it is very uh, salt and peppery slash grayish it's itchy and uncomfortable. It doesn't, it's not flattering. I mean, it's a terrible beard. It's really, really (laughs) awful. So I, I have no, um, I have no problem. I don't like shaving, but I would, I would happily shave every day for The next year, if it meant I could get rid of this thing
0: right now, get rid of the beard,
1: yeah. And it's so, it's just so ironic that the only reason I can't is because I don't own a Derek Jeter jersey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It really, really, the fates really are cruel. (laughs) I mean, they're just there's a cruelty to the fates. All right, Gary, I want to talk with you for a minute, and uh, Mike will of course join in because Mike has thoughts on this as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I over at the athletic, I am doing a Series called 60 Moments where I'm counting down the sixty greatest moments of baseball history as I see it in my own demented mind and uh recently I wrote about two things that that struck you because of your own childhood uh one of those being baseball cards and the other being uh stratomatic but but more more generally. Uh, those sorts of strategy baseball games, both playing huge roles in your life. When when was when in, in your memory was the first year you started collecting baseball cards?
2: The first set that I ever purchased cards from from or as I called them back then, cards from the <laughs> ice cream man, and and at every single convenience store we ever went into was was the seventy seven. Season. Ooh, okay. So that was so a, the
0: little flag on them. The ones that had the little flag. Yeah, yeah. They had
2: a flag, and 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 just I was I was thinking about the backs of baseball cards from my era. They were just you could you really needed a magnifying glass and a light to, to be able to read the <laughs> stats like a, a a a light you that a coal miner would use the stats were trying to keep the stats. From us and I and I I just remember that the last season it seemed was like the nineteen seventy season where they had readable stats that were were white at least in my youth. I think they went back to the white back white backs, but the the, it, it was really frustrating to try to read those stats and they were just they they must have saved a lot of money by not using quality. But, but 77 was the first season, and then and then 1978 was the year I tried to collect them all, and th- there was just there were no baseball card shows at the time, or at least none that I was aware of, and I spent months trying to complete a set, and all I was missing was was basically Ted Simmons and 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 Ken Reitz. I sure. <laughs> I, I sure, I sure. I, I was spending twenty, forty, sixty dollars trying to get the Ken Reitz to complete this set, and and kids weren't about trading for some reason at that time. We weren't getting together for trading until the eighties, and, and and I'm just I, I I would I would get angry because of of how many. How many Yazs I was getting? (laughs) So many Yazs, and I, and I. Every time I would see that face, and he, he, he was already gray by that point. He made the All-Star team somehow, but I was just, I was just furious. Furious. (laughs) The value of a Yaz was was much higher than a Ken Reitz. I I needed a Ken Reitz.
1: That's amazing.
2: The reason you didn't
0: have any Ken Reitzes is because I got 500 of them. I think that's the reason <laughs> they were shipping to South Euclid, Ohio. Only Ken Reitzes were, there was none in the Boston area. Mike, what was the first year you you started collecting cards?
1: It was 1980. So I was a couple years later. Um, but I, I then, as I got into my, uh, you know, got to the point in the mid eighties, late eighties, where I could like have babysitting jobs and stuff, I went backwards. There was a, Remember the department store G Fox? There was a oh, yeah. there was a G. Fox in Hartford, and in the basement, there was a guy who was like renting uh, <laughs> space from the G Fox to sell baseball cards and he had complete sets and, and, uh, and all these individual cards. And so like I would save up money and my mom or dad would take me to the basement of G Fox in Hartford, Connecticut. And I would buy, so I went backwards. I got this 79 set and the 78 set wow. and I got the 77 set. I think that's the, I went back to, I wanted to get back to 75 cause I was born in 75. So I wanted to get every set yeah. from when I was born. Um, but the, that seventy-seven set is really, t- truly terrible. Like I, it's the terrible. cards were the cards are oh. not attractive, and the and they they were really even by those standards they were really flimsy. They bent the corners bent really easily. Um, yeah. But there is one thing that I would like you both to look up on your computers right now, and if you're listening at home and are near a computer, Google nineteen seventy-seven Brian Downing. It's one of the greatest baseball cards ever made. It's I I had like five of these, and the it is. Time. Yes, it is truly inexplicable. He is wearing a collared shirt, right. a collared sports jersey of some kind, and a white yes. turtleneck. And a turtleneck. And he has uh, he has sunglasses or like tinted shades they're t- on.
0: T- they're not even sunglasses. They're no, tinted glasses. Yeah. It's
1: unclear what's going on. His hat is bananas. His hat is not a baseball hat. And he's got an enormous, like, basically like the same hair that dogs have is coming out <laughs> from either side of his head and i i remember seeing that
2: oh my word yeah (laughs) yes
1: it was my favorite card absolutely my favorite card from that set
0: did he break his arm why is there a cast on his left arm i I
1: that's the thing i could never totally tell you can't really see what's going on is it athletic tape or is it just the turtleneck (laughs) or something but it does look like he has an ace bandage or something on his left hand or maybe it's a batting glove but I, I just like the story of that. Someone needs to do a twelve-part podcast on the story of this <laughs> card.
0: It is such a great card. By the way, I wanted to add one other thought to your thought, Gary, on on how small the the stats were. The the one thing I noticed when I was when I was really young, and I think I noticed it first because I think my first full year of collecting was seventy six, so one year earlier, and um. The seventy-six, like like what the thing I noticed is that obviously they're getting all of your stats on the back of that card, no matter how like recent you are, no matter it doesn't matter. Like if you're a rookie, they're having just the one year on there, and if you're and yeah. if you're you know a ten year and I remember that because they didn't change it, if you had like a really long career, they would have to make the type even smaller, like on the back. Yeah. So like the Henry Aaron oh. card. The Hank Aaron 1976 card, microscopic. Just absolutely microscopic stats on the bat. There's no, yeah. no, like Ted Williams would not be able to have read the numbers on the back of that 1976 Hank Aaron uh, baseball card. I always thought that was fun.
2: They just yes, had I, to adjust. That's
1: I, true. I like the 76 set better. The 76 set had some really cool, weird um, color combos. Like, Love- like pinks and oranges and yellows and it's super it's really 70sy. it's really like light blue and like burnt sienna as like because they had two strips at the bottom uh and then they had like a fun outline of what kind of player you were in a little card of cartoon in the lower left so there's pictures there's like a pitcher uh icon and there's like hitting icons and and fielding icons and stuff uh and they were and they had an outline around them that was the same as the border of the card and it was a real like um it was just a real melange of of nonsense on, the, <laughs> on those cards like it really a really like like the astros cards and the indians cards i'm looking at them now are like there's like one of the bands is of color is pink and one of them is orange <laughs> and the type in the pink is white but the type in the orange is black and it's just a it's a mess like a, it's a really delightful mess
0: But don't you think seventy-five is also a delightful mess in its own way with all the the crazy colors they had for that?
1: That was good too. Yeah. Seventy-five. So I went back and got that to me that's a little too much though. Like that it's cool, (laughs) but like it's so garish because the entire card is a color now. Like the entire board. And they split them in half. The top half is one color and the bottom half is another color. (laughs) It's it's like this was like the dude who designed these cards like went out discoing super hard the night before and like definitely didn't sleep and then forgot that he was supposed to like come up with the design and just was like what it's it's colors (laughs) add add more colors purples and pinks and uh it is a it's a kind of a disaster but i still i mean they're still fun to look at because they're so different from what came later when like upper deck showed up and ruined everything by
0: making everything really sleek and, and, uh, bright, and cool and looking. And cool. You know, yeah, and, and, yeah it's, it's like going to high definition. We didn't need it. We just didn't, we just didn't need it. Uh, Gary. So, so the other thing to talk to you about is, uh, this, uh, the strategy baseball games. Now, did you, did you play stratomatic when you were like, is that, is that a game in your past or no?
2: Yes. Yes. My, my oldest brother had a, so I was born in 1970. My brother was 13 years older than me. So he was born in 57. He had a set of 1971. And so when I got really into baseball in 1979, I used his set and oh. it, was, it was really incredible. I got to use Clemente and Aaron and Mays and it was it was really cool, and so I I got into that, and then we were really broke, so we couldn't buy an entire new set. So this this I'll never forget this. My my middle brother called Stratomatic Baseball in in New York, and they must have been desperate too because <laughs> they were willing to send us five teams from each league at a at a reduced price. They didn't wow. send. That. They just send us five teams from each league, and so I chose the best teams from each league, and then the the Red Sox, of course, from the American League, and I I created my own little little league, and and everything was was inflated because there was there was only good players in the in the league, so I played that, and then. A couple of summers later, I made friends on a little league team with this this boy named Sam. Well, he's a man now, I imagine. Uh, his, <laughs> name, his name was Sam Penta, and he had this thing called Status Pro. Oh. Instead of trying to convert him to Stratomatic, I played an entire summer of Status Pro, and we just th- that was one of the great summers of my life. We we were either in an above ground pool or playing status pro or playing wiffle ball all day long. (laughs) And, and it was just such a, such a delight, but status pro, I hadn't heard anybody mention it until you wrote that article the other day, Joe. And so I had, I had been convinced for years that I had, I had dreamt the whole thing, even the Sam Penta part of it. He may have been a a figment, but I, I loved this game so much. And then I, I remember one year Wade Boggs came up late and i figured out they they gave you instructions on how to make your own card and i made my own wade boggs card and he hit he hit uh, 2000 he hit he, he he got every time he got up at that he was so good that summer he he was just a revel and he also came up from the minor leagues at, at about 40. he was like 40 years old when he came up from- from the minor leagues because he, he wasn't a home run hitter. Right. He discounted his, his 500 batting average at that <laughs> so So it, it was just – that was the greatest – that was – and, and you when you talked about Dwight Evans' home run in the Stratomatic <laughs> League, I mean, that that brought back some memories, but also made me feel less alone in that some of my greatest moments in baseball had nothing to do with a bat and a ball. They had everything to do with dice. It's so, it's so
0: great. Mike, were you a player? Did you play Stratomatic or, or Stratus Pro when you were young? I really
1: didn't. It's like one of the great shames of my life is that it, it kind of missed me. Like I... Definitely had it, um, but I don't. I, I didn't have any brothers, and uh, and my parents split up when, when I was pretty young, and so I didn't have anyone to play with me. And my friend uh, who lived down the street and I used to, uh, ma- essentially made up a different game where we would take lineups from teams. He was a Yankee fan. I was a Red Sox fan. And we played like a version of like stoop ball outside his house with a tennis ball where we would like, you know, so, and we go through the lineup. So like, you know, leading off is this person and then you throw it and he gets a single and then you would count the runs and whatever. So we sort of played like a a non dice version that we made up. We sort of like collected from a bunch of different kinds of games so I kind of never played those games. Like I definitely had Stratomatic, but I also lost so much of it. It got like I think I, I we had a dog, and I think the dog ate some of it or chewed it up. And so I, I just I kind of never. I just was. – It was never a really a part of my life, and it kind of bums me out that that's true.
0: Yeah, it's 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 such a it's such a powerful memory. And Status Pro was great. I I mean honestly like you almost like they stopped making it or they st- it, it, it was never as easily accessible as stratomatic and in some ways i always thought status pro was even more fun than stratomatic because there's like there are little quirks about about status pro um that were really really fun like like it used to be if you were a really good pitcher like it's in, in, in stratomatic if you roll one die if you go um you know one to three it, it goes on on a hitter card and then two to three four to six goes on pitcher's card or or reverse and in stratomatic if you were a really good pitcher the ball would go on your card more because it was like if you were like a two to nine pitcher you would roll two dice and any number between two and nine would actually go on the pitcher's card so like if you were goose gossage it like never went on the hitter's card ever right and 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 goose gossage was like unhittable essentially and it was so
2: i i love that game so much gary it was the greatest right yeah it was it was so much fun and and i i totally identify with with mike's call on the you needed friends so i remember the 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 main reason i was never involved in in dungeons and dragons i had the books i didn't have enough friends to, to play a role-playing game. So I just, I, I couldn't really access it, but, but the interesting thing with Stratomatic and Status Pro is that if you, if you were really lonely, you could (laughs) play by yourself. I mean, it it was bad and you you knew that there was something better to be doing with your, with your time, but, but you could play by yourself. You just had to make decisions. You had to be on, you couldn't be biased towards one team and, and favored certain players, but I favored certain stats. So I would, I would set up so that Eddie Murray would, would get 33 home runs. Every day.
0: <laughs> would you sit him? Would you sit him for like the last two weeks
2: of the season, if necessary? <laughs> I it, it was more along the lines of he wasn't hitting as many home runs as I as as he needed. And there were there were also certain stars that were more stars in, in Stratomatic, like Wally Backman, I've always heard is one of the greatest Stratomatic players of all the time. And he was an excellent Met, but he was he was he was he was not, not, not a
0: superstar, no.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's so great.
0: Well, Gary, I think we have, I think you have to go, right? I
2: think we're going to lose you here. It's so weird because I schedule nothing and then I have two podcasts back. (laughs) I have have a a mental health podcast right now, which probably will be a little heavier than than this, but this was, this was so fun. I feel like we've known each other all our lives guys. So so thank (laughs) you for including me in this and, and it's nice to virtually meet you, Mike.
1: Yes. Nice to virtually meet you. Big fan.
2: Oh, thank you. Same
0: here. Thanks, guys. Thanks. The podcast is brought to you by Hydrant. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. This is true for me. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. I guess those are the four essential electrolytes. They help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists. There's no synthetic colors or or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And you can also get 25% off your first offer. Simply go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code POS at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code POS for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code POS. All right, so, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was – I'm, by the way, I'm really sad now that you didn't get to play Stratomatic or anything when you were when you were young.
1: I've been secretly sad about it my whole life. Like, I really have. And I've thought about trying to buy an old set and playing it with my son. But the reality is Stratomatic, at the time we were kids, could compete with other forms right. of entertainment in a way that it can't now. Like, why would my son want to play Stratomatic baseball when he can like call up a YouTube clip of literally anything that's ever happened in the history of baseball in one second. Like it just, it is, it it was a, a game for a specific time and place. And that, and that time and place is long past. So uh, it bums me out, you know,
0: it, it is, it is sad. It is. I mean, and you're right. I mean, it's like, yeah, I want to play stratomatic with the kids and they, they, it's sort of like, you remember, did you guys play, are you of the age where you could play like that handheld electronic football game?
1: Oh, yeah, so, definitely. That that I, I definitely played, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so that was the greatest thing of the time. And yet, you know, they still sell them. Like, you can get them, like, at a... I have one,
1: a, yeah. Like, I bought one, like, yeah. two years ago, yeah.
0: Right, and and then you look at it, and you go, how how did this keep our attention for, for you know... I mean, not to say that I don't play it, because I do still play it, but, like, you just have to pretend that, like, a little blip of light is a running back, and, and it's, it doesn't... It, it's it sort of demands a lot that uh, kids would never want to put in now.
1: Yeah, and it there's also there's there's also the basketball version, which is even lamer. The basketball version is truly <laughs> terrible. Like it, it's it's you because ha- you can only make a shot if you're one like unit away from the basket, basically. And so, and if anyone is between you, you it gets blocked. So like that that was even more infuriating. But the the football one had certain like there's certain the football one had a certain excitement to it because if you got on a real run, like if you broke through the line and were like and then you came through the other side and you were just like da like it you really did like get an endorphin rush, you know yes. like it it, yeah. it that that's still I still pick it up sometimes and do it just to get one of those little mini runs because <laughs> uh, it's really fun when that happens,
0: yeah, and it's funny because I don't know if they've gotten any tougher as the years have gone on, but I can remember as a kid being good enough at, that I could you know you could do that did, 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 did thing so fast that you didn't even have to make moves. You just went right down the sideline and just kept running. But now if I try to do that, like eventually somebody cuts me off and I've got to like make moves and it's it's I don't think I'm nearly as good as I was
1: then. Yeah. I I think that probably when we were kids we played it eleven hours a day and so we got really good <laughs> that, at it. That, and that, now
0: that would yeah, that would that would make the difference. All right, you know what? Let's do one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing.
2: It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know. Like our beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael. No Diet Coke for Joe
0: do you want to start
1: no you start
0: okay so so this is this is quite meaningless my wife just got us a new basketball net uh for our basketball uh little little hoop that we have outside uh, the old one, I think we we is the original version of it, and uh, which we we got it like seven or eight years ago, so it's it's kind of sad. Uh, so she got us a new one. And it's 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 like a neon yellow. It's very cool. But I she gave it to me and said, put the new net on, and I <clears throat> went uh, on the little ladder to go ahead and put the new net on, and I started to taking the net down, and I honestly felt like i had just won the ncaa champion <laughs> i just <laughs> i was just up there just like there's this feeling is so it's it's no wonder and i asked her if we could cut it down and she wouldn't let me do it i don't know why uh like what are we saving that net for i i don't know but uh but yeah, yeah. but even just taking the net down it felt i felt very i felt very roy williams i just was up there just are
1: you pulling that thing down are you a little sad that Jim Nance didn't show up out of nowhere and give you his necktie?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. I wanted to hear that that song, uh, which, by the way, is terrible. Uh, that one shining one moment. One shining moment. I'm no, just, it's great. Come on.
1: Yeah. No, it's not. Um, so my, my one last meaningless thing is that uh, you, uh, I'm, I don't know if you've had this problem, but glasses wearers suffer daily indignities. Um, and there's a new one, which is that if you are outside in this time of, uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus and you have to wear a mask, um, when you wear, if you're wearing glasses or sunglasses for that matter, your breath fogs up the glasses and, and, and right. glasses wearers are, are very familiar with things fogging up the glasses. If you get into a car that's hot and you're cold or vice versa your glasses steam up and you have to take them off and rub them and blah 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 blah. but this it's like yet another uh thing where glasses uh are a problem now i usually wear contacts although in la if i have to wear sunglasses the sunglasses fog up or steam up when you wear a mask it's a problem and so i'd like to just use this one last meaningless thing to say a word of praise uh for one of the truly great inventions of the of history like uh you know there's like the there's the steam engine the combustible engine and there's the airplane and things like that but uh equal among them is the small uh uh, glasses cleaner that comes with any any set of sunglasses that you buy (laughs) or if your glasses wear comes with your new frames it's a small uh, usually rectangular specific kind of cloth uh yes. that you're supposed to use to clean glasses so you don't scratch the lenses. And these things work so well. They're if you incredible. clean your if you clean your glasses with your shirt uh tail or with a Kleenex even or anything, you get and you put them back on, everything is smeared and and it looks terrible yeah. and Horrible, it, yeah. nothing works. These little amazing pieces of cloth that you get when you're uh, uh when you buy a pair of sunglasses or regular glasses you just one quick swipe with your index finger and thumb over each lens. Your glasses are perfectly clean. They are brand. They they look like you got them that day. And I have conservatively 7,000 of these things yeah. in my house because I've been wearing glasses my whole life and, and sunglasses in LA and everything else. I can never find them. And when I do find them, I like, I it's like, I want to, I want to treat them the way that like gas stations treat, the key to the restroom like i want to i want to attach it to like a large frying pan <laughs> so that I, so I always know where it is but uh but i i recently found like a, essentially a treasure trove of them in my uh, in a in my bathroom what drawer in my bathroom i found like 8 of them that i had just thrown in there and i'm so happy because now with this new additional thing that causes your glasses to get steamed up or fogged up or uh, or dirty or smudgy or whatever these things are invaluable, and and I just want to thank whoever invented them because uh, they they really do make your life instantly less annoying than it was the second before you used it.
0: Well, there, there are obviously as a lifelong glasses wearer, there are a couple of points I want to make. One is the feeling of like really cleaning your glasses with one of those glasses cleaners, like that, like that little that little piece of fabric when you put that back on your face the glasses magic what a feeling it's It's magical it's like you it's
1: literally you feel like you just did a magic trick
0: (laughs) you're just you're like wow like the whole world comes to life right in front of your very eyes for the very first time in your life it's it's it is it is that moment in wizard of oz where it it, like the world becomes color that's exactly what it's like yes absolutely so wonderful and second why are not more things made out of that cloth? Like, why is that cloth not accessible at every minute of every day? It feels to me like it's it's the perfect material. I don't even know what it is.
1: See, I think that I disagree. I think that cloth has its singular purpose. It was invented to do this one thing. It doesn't need to do anything else. I don't want it to do anything else. Because if you started making shirts out of this, there'd be less of that cloth for the People who really need it, which are people who wear glasses, this is a precious resource. We need to treat it like we treat uranium or something. It's it's very very important that it be used in moderation and only for its express purpose.
0: What 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 do you think of using larger versions of that, like to clean like your phone or your iPad?
1: I've done that. I don't know if you've done that, but I've done that. It it it, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it quite works as well, but it does work. Like it does. Yeah, it definitely works. And again, though, I'm just worried that I'm going to like use it up somehow and that it won't (laughs) that it won't be available to me when I need it for the thing that it's really meant for. You know,
2: by the way,
0: how did they determine like, first of all, okay, two, two, two other points. One is how did they determine the size of those things? Because they're all the same size and they're all perfect size
1: for it's perfect size I, I, again i just think whoever invented it was like it's this and it's this size and that's it like that's it you know it's like a, they but they nailed it they nailed it on the first try
0: it's absolutely perfect it's like literally just fits exactly over your fingers exactly the right size but the second thing is what do you think of like the little spray glasses cleaner
1: well you know here's the thing joe you're not supposed to use them in concert did you know that You're
0: not
1: not supposed to spray. It's counterintuitive, but you're not supposed to spray the glasses cleaner and then use the magic cloth. You're supposed to use one or the other. So I basically never use the spray cleaner. I only use the magic cloth.
0: Why do you need the spray cleaner with the magic cloth?
1: I think it's like if, if your life has gone terribly and you can't find one of the magic cloths, this is your next best option.
0: Sure. And And they probably would tell you right up front, like, look, it's not going to clean your glasses as well, and it's going to—it's got that really, really strong smell, so it will not, it will not be as good. But if you don't have one in a pinch, this is the closest you can get to that clean. glass better. Feel. It's better
1: than nothing, but nothing comes close <laughs> to the magic cloth. I'm using it right now, and it feels amazing.
0: It's well, it's incredible. It's just, it's, and I, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't, because I wear uh, glasses. I, I, I very rarely wear sunglasses, but this past. Uh, year I got myself prescription sunglasses uh, because I can't do like contacts just aren't, they're not going to work for me. So I got prescription sunglasses, which are amazing. And if anything, the magic cloth is even better on sunglasses really
1: like, on prescri- like I, think, well, I mean i use them on my sunglasses we we're saying on prescription sunglasses
0: on prescription sunglasses because i don't know why maybe it's just because they're darker or whatever but they seem to draw more dust and 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 whatever it is in the air that that wrecks our glasses in the first place and boy you give you give that thing a good magic cloth and perfect just it's perfect
1: thank you person who invented this small piece of fabric <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, is, this is exactly right. No, it's so great. It's so great. Well, there we go. One more time, we have solved all of the world's problems. Um, as always, Mike, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.